am happy and excited to continue our progression through our sermon series that we've titled Kingdom Fit. In this sermon series, as the title suggests, we're looking at how we can grow in kingdom fitness. How And, and what that means is, how do we grow into a person who more naturally obeys all that Jesus commanded? That's what it means to grow in kingdom fitness. And one of the things that we've emphasized is that in order for us to grow in this way, it requires grace-empowered effort on our part to train with Jesus. We don't just drift into godliness. We must train with Jesus. Um, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what are the components of a training program with Jesus. And I just want to remind you of them very quickly. And then we are going to dive into the planning component of the training program. Here are the five components. Vision, commitment, vision, commitment, assessment, and then plan and evaluation. Let me just review these very quickly. So in terms of the vision, we have to know, obviously, what Jesus commanded. And so we have to really pay attention to Jesus' teaching and, of course, his life because he perfectly modeled what he taught. And we do well to pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount because that is the longest, most detailed teaching of Jesus that we have. And so that is the vision. The upside-down way of the kingdom is the vision. Once we have the vision, we then have to assess, uh, or at least, sorry, we, we need to commit to it, right? It doesn't do us any good to know the vision but not be committed to becoming the vision. So there has to be this commitment that I am going to train with Jesus. I want to grow in surrendered obedience to all that he commanded. Then there needs to be an assessment piece, right? Where are we at in kingdom fitness? Where are we healthy? Where are we unhealthy? Where are we fat and lazy, right, when it comes to our kingdom fitness? And, of course, I emphasize the need to do this with God. As the psalm we read today reminds us, we have secret faults that we can't see, right, but God can. And then we need to have a plan. I'm going to go into that today. And then we need to evaluate whether the plan is working. Is it producing kingdom fruit? If not then chances are, if we are really implementing the plan, chances are then it needs to be tweaked, adjusted. Something needs to stop. Something needs to start, right? So that's what, where we've been and where we've been focused. Let me pray, and then we'll look at the plan part because our life as a disciple is this, vision, commitment, assessment, plan, evaluation. Repeat, repeat, repeat. That is awesome. I love that. <laughs> hey, check this out. This is hilarious. So we were at, we went and watched Faith Lau play volleyball at Malone. And Mary didn't know the volleyball culture there. When they announced people's names, it's just a. <laughs> so they announced Faith or Sierra's name. I can't remember which one first. And Mary just started cheering real loud. It was dead silent in the gym. All you could hear was Mary screaming uh, for 
either Faith or Sierra. It was hilarious. Tony, I love you. It's just the way it goes sometimes, right? Hey, I bet you're going to remember it, though. You're saying it, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you want to transform us. As Brandon has, as he has said, you don't want us just to come to church and be convicted. You want to transform us. You want transformation over conviction. Lord, I pray that as we continue to unpack how we can train with you so that we can put ourselves in a position to receive your grace that transforms, that you would speak to us. And the result would be that our lives would more reflect you in the way you love. Jesus, you are amazing. Teach us. Holy Spirit, enlighten us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Write this down. Or remember it. Or say it out loud like Tony. The first objective I believe that needs to be a part of your training plan is this. To grow in your understanding and experience of God as your extravagantly loving creator, savior, and father. That is the first objective. This is so critical, and I'm going to focus on this objective today. The second objective that your training plan should address is removing your old automatic responses of thinking, feeling, and acting that are not in alignment with the child of God you are in Christ. Those two things simultaneously is what our plan needs to address. Um, <clears throat> this is very important, so let me, let me dive into this first objective, and we'll spend the rest of our time here. Next week, we'll look at the second objective. So in terms of this first objective, why is it so important that we not only understand but also experience God as our loving creator, savior, and father? Let me tell you why. Because your image of God will direct your life. This is critical. How you view God will direct the trajectory of your soul. If you believe he's non-existent, you're going to have a certain trajectory. If you believe he exists, but you only see him as creator, you're going to have a certain trajectory. If you only see him as savior, you're only going to have a certain trajectory. If you only see him as father, you're only going to have a limited certain trajectory towards, to your life. It is important that we see God in these three roles together. For example, if you only see God as creator, chances are he is going to, you're going to view him as distant and aloof, unconcerned with the details of your everyday life. If you only see him as savior, maybe you'll see him as this God that paid the price for your sins, but isn't continuing to provide you with power and grace to overcome them in your daily circumstances. 
if you see God as only a father, you're not going to fully understand his extravagant love that was demonstrated by his role as your savior and the sacrifice that he paid for you. We need to see God as all three, creator, savior, and father. Let's look at this first one. Growing in our understanding and experience of, of God as our loving creator. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. In the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth in their words to the end of the world. What the psalmist is telling us, like, look, creation, although it doesn't speak in audible words, it nonetheless speaks loudly and clearly about God's greatness and glory. We can look at creation, and we can know just by looking at creation that there must be an extremely powerful, intelligent, wise, creative God that has designed it. The complexity, the vastness, the beauty, the fine-tuning of everything is just remarkable. I think it takes so much faith to believe that there wasn't an intelligent designer behind it all. That takes so much faith. This is why I love the natural sciences. Things like Biology and chemistry and astrology and earth science. The reason why I like them, because the more we understand how the natural world works, the higher our view of God's greatness can become. And the more in awe of God we can become. I uh, just finished reading, or actually, I, I'm in. If you haven't listened to books on audio, I love it. You should do it. Hoopla, free app through the, bi- or, uh, through the library. You get it, free books. Um, I have an, a, a subscription with Scribed, and I think it's like 8 bucks a month, and it's just I, unlimited books, right? One book I was listening to recently, I just finished, is uh, Norman Geisler's I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. In the book... He details 100 constants that have to happen all the time in order for us to live and for the world to exist. They're really narrowly defined. Let me just give you two of them. On Earth, oxygen comprises 21% of the atmosphere. The precise figure is an anthropic constant that makes life on Earth possible. If oxygen were 25%, fires would erupt spontaneously. If it were 15%, human beings would suffocate. Check out this, this constant. It's, it's about the moon and the earth and, and their gravitational interaction. If the interaction were greater than it currently is, tidal effects on the ocean's atmosphere and rotational period would be too severe. If it were less, orbital changes would cause climactic instabilities. In either event, life on earth would be impossible. We could go on with the list of a hundred fine-tuning, fine-tuned aspects of the natural world. Actually, there, when he wrote this book back in 2004, 
uh, his buddy uh, is an astrologist, and there were being so, there were so many new precise constants that were being discovered that at that time on his uh, website reasons.org his buddy was listing the new findings regarding these perci- precise constants quarterly that's how many were are, were being discovered and, I, and my guess is that that is still happen the fine tuning of the universe is remarkable and it speaks to a remarkable designer you know god is like the ocean when you stand and you look at the ocean You can apprehend it, but you can't fully comprehend it. And it's the vastness of creation that helps us to understand just how great and awesome God is. And that's why people often feel the closest to God when they are in nature. You know why? Because they're right in the midst of his artistry, his handiwork. John Calvin said, every blade of grass and every color in this world is intended to make us rejoice in God. The more we become aware of God's handiwork, the more we become grateful for it, the more we're going to be in all of God. The Apostle Paul, remember what Romans 1 says? What was the first step in humanity's uh, progression downward into the spiral of sin? He said, they suppressed the message that nature was clearly communicating. They suppressed it. They could, they, they could see that this spoke to an intelligent designer behind it all creation did. They suppressed that message, and the result was their hearts became darkened, and they became futile. Their thinking became futile, Right? And so it's extremely important that our training plan helps us to see God as our extravagantly loving creator. And his creation does speak to his love for us, doesn't it? Think about how food tastes good. Think about what it's like to drink a big glass of water after you've been out on a hot sunny day. Think about what it feels like to take a shower and to have that water run over your body if you've been working hard all day long. There's so many joys and pleasures that are mixed in with our experience of creation. Think about the joy that plants and animals give us. And then to think, as David mentions in Psalm 8, that we as human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation, and that we, out of all the creatures that were created, we're given the greatest capacity for relationship and intelligence, and um, we have this volitional ability where we're able to choose and make decisions, and it's just remarkable. Creation speaks to God's love for us. Secondly, we must grow in our understanding and experience of God as our extravagantly loving Savior. The author of Hebrews in, in chapters or in chapter one verse three said that Jesus was the brightness of God's glory in the express image of God's person. The Apostle Paul he wrote in Colossians that Jesus was the image of the invisible God, 
And that in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus himself said that to see him was to see the Father. And what's so crazy about Christianity, and it differs from the other main world religions in a ton of ways, but one primary way where it's in stark contrast to the religions of the world is that Jesus, who was God, and in him the attributes and characteristics of God dwelt, God's wisdom, sovereignty, mercy, love, humility, power, faithfulness, holiness, justice, goodness, grace. It was all in full display in the person of Jesus in like high definition, right? And what's so crazy is that God in Christ didn't consider it, didn't, didn't hold on to his privileges and his rights as God, but he humbly became a human being, this great God that we see in creation, humbly became a human being to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died so that we could be reconciled to him. There's no other religion that has the God of the universe making such a humble, tremendous, loving sacrifice. And the more we understand the depth of this wonderful act on God's part, the more we dig and mine the treasure and the gold that is in this message, the more we will see how great God is and the more our love for him will be. We must grow in our understanding and our experience as God, as Savior. Thirdly, and so our training plan should address that. Thirdly, we must grow in our understanding and experience of God as our Father. This is so, so critical. Uh, and I know <laughs> I probably say that about everything, right? I think pastors are always in danger of like, write this down or like, you really got to hear this. This is so important. This is so critical, right? So hopefully it's not just like waxing cold in your hearts when you hear me say that. And maybe I got to get better about what I say that about. But this is very critical. <laughs> it's critical because this God who is creator and this God who is savior, he is still active in our life as father. And he is supplying our needs moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, year by year. In Romans 8.32, Paul reminds us in this verse that this God, who, our loving Father, who didn't spare his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? God, our Father, he is still working to provide for us, to protect us, to give us power in our daily circumstances. Right before Romans 8.32, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.28, he is actively working as our loving father to cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him. 
in Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote to the, the, the Christians um, in that place. And he wrote in Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples not to worry because your father in heaven, the one who is working all things out for your good, the one whose love for you is so intense that nothing can separate you from his love, this one who didn't even spare his one and only son but gave him up for you, he is supplying all your needs. He will provide and protect you. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He is the one that cares for you. And this frees us up to live lightly and freely and to seek God's kingdom first above all things, knowing and trusting that what we really need, we will have in Christ because we have a Father that will provide it. And so, when you combine that with God being our loving Father with an understanding then of who we are as one of his children, that combination creates a strength in us and a fortitude and a peace and a joy that is just unmatched and unrivaled. When we know that we have been given a new nature, that thirst and hungers for righteousness, when we know as a child of God we've been given the person of the Holy Spirit that empowers us and, and directs us and guides us, when we as a child of God know that the Holy Spirit has given us supernatural gifts for the building up of God's church, when we as a child of God understand that we've been given an inheritance that includes reigning with Jesus over the resurrected world and resurrected bodies with the resurrected Jesus. When we understand who we are as a child and when we understand who our father is, man, is that a strength and a power that look out when somebody understands that and experiences that. When you think then about God being our loving, extravagantly loving creator, savior, and father, when you meditate on this, when you understand it more and more and experience it more fully, then what can you say to all this? <laughs> Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And you can't help but say to your soul, as Psalm 103, 1 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As we experience God in these three roles, a byproduct of this experience is going to be growth in kingdom fitness. The, a byproduct is going to be joy and peace. Our world needs joy and peace. 
It's in desperate need of joy and peace. Sadness, despair, worry, anxiety, fear, that is the climate. And you know why? Because people, it goes back to people have so many misconceptions about God. So many misconceptions about God. He loves us. He is not a monster. He is not a taskmaster. He is not distant and uninvolved. He is not a God who enjoys punishing people. He is not a killjoy. Actually, he's the avenue to eternal pleasure. We have just messed up views of God. He is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is his fruit. Which means he is the most loving, the most joyful, the most peaceful, the most patient, the most kind, the most good, the most faithful, gentle, and self-controlled being that has ever existed. Why don't we see him this way? Do you know him? Do you know the real God of the Bible? Or are you holding on to a distorted image of who he truly is? Because, again, it will set the trajectory of your life. All right, so I've said that I'm going to try and make this as practical as possible because we as pastors, we always tell you that everything is super critical that we say, right? And we're guilty of also, like, teaching you this and then giving you no way of how to, like, actually apply it, right? It's like this is wonderful information. It's truth. So I'm doing my best here, and this is not going to be perfect. But I want to help in this way. So here we go. If we're really, all right, so say that God really puts it on your heart. Like, look, I understand that I need to grow in my understanding and experience of God as my creator, right? Let's, let's just say that's where he, 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 that's what he reveals to you. How do you go about this in practical terms? I know this is a lot of information, um, and we're going to, I'm, I'm going to do my best to pull this all together um, uh, in the next coming weeks. But here, here's what you need to know. Another critical thing, right? Um, there's got to be, I believe, these four things. Engagement with God. Engagement with truth and knowledge. Engagement with experience. And engagement with community. Um, I, these are not my own. I got this from Dana Allen in, in the book Simple Discipleship that I mentioned last Sunday, but I wholeheartedly believe this because this is how Jesus discipled his disciples. He included these avenues. And I just want to say one thing. We are often very lacking in our Western intellectual cerebral world. We're very lacking oftentimes with experience. It's like just an exchange of information. That's not how Jesus discipled. There was that, and that was an important piece, engagement with truth or knowledge, but it wasn't the way he discipled as, it wasn't the only way. And so, again, let's think about this. I believe God is allowing me or wanting me to grow in my understanding and experience of God as my loving creator. Well, to engage God in the process, what I might do is simply ask him. 
Lord, as I engage with truth and knowledge and with experience and with community, would you enlarge my understanding and my experience of you as my loving creator? Would you do that for me? To engage with knowledge and truth. Maybe what I might do is slowly and prayerfully and carefully go through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And just meditate on God's, on the creation account. And then the fall. And then maybe I might do the same thing with Revelation 21 and 22 as it speaks to God's restoration of the created order. And all the while asking God, speak to me. Help me, give me a bigger view of who you are as my loving creator. What do you want to say to me about your greatness and your love? And maybe to experience, or to engage with experience, maybe what I do is I, I, uh, this, this may sound odd, but maybe I grow a small garden. And maybe as I, I work the ground, and maybe as I till the ground, and, and maybe as I sow, and I reap, and I harvest, all the while I'm intentional about being open to what God wants to teach me about his love for me as creator as I engage in that experience. Maybe I take up the hobby of woodworking, and I start learning all about different woods. Like, that's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a whole science. And all the while, as I'm learning, I'm praising God, the master creator. And I'm thinking about what was it like for Jesus to work as a carpenter. Maybe I take a trip to the zoo, and I'm asking God, as I look at these creatures that you have created, speak to me about your love for me as creator, and speak to me about your greatness. Maybe because, uh, maybe I do this because humans are the, like the, the pinnacle of God's creation. Maybe I'm intentional about celebrating those individuals that God has placed in my life that are so special and dear to me and that bear God's wonderful image. And I'm intentional about that. And all the while, I'm praising God as I do it. And then in terms of engagement with community, Maybe if I'm a part of a life group, I regular, regularly report to them like what God is teaching me about him as creator as I engage with truth and knowledge and experience and engage with God. Let's say God is really wanting me to grow, as, grow in my understanding and experience of him as savior. What might I do? Well, I probably would start the same way. If I were to engage with God, I'd probably ask him like, Lord... Help me to have a more full, uh, deeper understanding of your saving activity. And so what I might do is I might, over the course of a summer, read through the book of Romans, prayerfully, slowly, asking God to reveal himself more fully to me. I may also decide to read a book or listen to some sermons that really focus on the different metaphors that the scripture uses to talk about God's saving activity. There's a ton of them. Redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, adoption, justification, atonement. So maybe that's the truth and knowledge piece. Maybe then to engage with experience, what I do is I 
before I know this church is going to take communion, I write down the things where I've messed up in the past month or so, and I write them down, and then I come to church with them either on me or in my head, and when I go to take communion, I, as I drink from the cup and I eat the bread, like I just savor, savor the deliciousness of knowing that none of those wrongdoings stick to me. I may, to experience or to engage with experience, I may choose to forgive someone that has hurt me so that I can more fully understand the forgiveness that God has shown to me. Today, as we are about to serve, Lord willing, hundreds of people, I may come with the attitude, God, speak to me about how you are my Savior, that in my brokenness you came and you served me as I serve these people. May I understand that and experience that, your saving activity more fully. I may develop the habit of journeying through a biblical version of the stations on the, of the cross. If you were here for Easter, the service that the, uh, Brandon and Haley and their team put on really took you uh, through that journey to the cross. And it was an experiential way of engaging with God regarding his saving activity for us. I know an old friend who's in his 70s, and he's known to have a great prayer life. Um, What he tries to do every Christmas is go and be in a barn to smell the smells, to think about Christ's incarnation. He also makes a point to hold a newborn baby at Christmas time. I don't know how he goes about that. Hopefully he's not holding the newborn baby in a barn, although that probably would really engage the senses more fully. In terms of engaging with community, if I'm going to grow in my knowledge of Jesus uh, as uh, as my Savior, maybe I have an accountability partner that I'm reporting my discoveries to and that's holding me accountable to engaging in these four directions. Finally, lastly, and I'll stop with this. If I believe that God is calling me to grow in my understanding and experience of God as my Father, again, I'd probably start in in the very same way, asking God in prayer to reveal more fully his fatherly love for me, to, to further cement my identity in my mind, in my heart, being his child, as a child of his, of the king. In terms of engaging with truth and knowledge, I may memorize Matthew 6, 25 through 34. The whole bit where Jesus says to his disciples, do not worry, worry because you have a father that cares for you. I may <laughs> go through Romans 8 as it talks about our adoption into God's royal family. I may make a regular practice of praying the Lord's, fra- Lord's prayer, the Lord's prayer, because it starts out as what our Father, and then it goes on to detail how God cares for us as a Father. I may study Galatians to more fully understand, again, my identity as a child of God.
And then I may pick up a book that really speaks to this, this, fa- this father-child relationship, and I read it with God. In terms of engaging God through experience, I may make a point to regularly walk and observe the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. I may do that just my own yard by walking around, looking at the flowers in my flower bed. And as I do it, casting my cares on God, praying your will, your way, your time. Your will, your way, your time. Maybe I do something really fun with God, just as this father-child bonding time. I, I told you before uh, a day that I borrowed Rick Lutz's four-wheeler, and I headed, I went down to my, my father and his hunting buddy's property in Caldwell, Ohio, and I spent the day four-wheeling with God. It was awesome. And I stopped because I came across around this bend, and it was the most beautiful picture of boulders and rocks and ruling hills and blue skies with those, you know, blue sky with those big white puffy clouds. And as I was sitting there on that four-wheeler praising God, guess what happened? I'm looking at this boulder. Bobcat comes walking right around on the ledge, stopped, looked right at me for about 30 seconds, and it was probably about 30 yards away, looked at me, and then just slowly walked around the backside of this huge boulder out of my sight. Like the coincidence, right? It's just a coincidence. I stopped, and I saw a bobcat. What a bonding experience that was with me and God. In terms of engaging with community, again, i got to have people that I'm processing with this idea that God is my father and I am his child. You know why I think some people find the Christian life so boring? It's because they're not engaging with God through experience. They've only experienced classroom learning like this. There's so much more to life with God than coming and listening to truth and knowledge. It's great. It's necessary. But if this is all your experience with God... It's, not, it's just not enough. Let's pray. Remember, Trevor said, my buddy, people don't just want to know the truth. They want to experience the truth. Let's pray. Lord, you are great. <laughs> you are so deserving of our praise. You are our extravagantly loving creator, savior, Father, Lord, grow us in our understanding of that, but not just our understanding. May we experience it in tangible ways through our five senses. Lord, I pray that as we continue on, that this all, this is a lot of information, Lord, I pray that you would wrap it up well And it would eventually make a whole lot of sense and be really clear for these individuals here so that they may take steps to join you, to do life with you, so that they may grow to more fully reflect you for your glory. Lord, I can't wait for this block party. 
I can't wait because I know there are going to be divine appointments because that's how you work. There are going to be people that are going to need our smile. It might just be what gets them through this next week. There may be people there that need us to ask them questions, to show interest in their life because they have nobody that does. There may be kids there in really difficult situations that don't smile very often, that we're going to make smile. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.